Paul frames idolatry in ways that most of us have never considered. Paul says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. When we focus on our holy God and His doing His will with the appropriate response of gratitude and worship, we live as the holy people we are called to be. But when our focus is on self and the things of this world, we become greedy, idolaters who worship the things of this world. Give Him thanks and be free of idols. Well, here we are exactly in the middle of our series on Thanksgiving. In 1633, the leading classical painter, Nicholas Poussin, gave us the Adoration of the Golden Calf, and it hangs in the National Gallery in London. This scene is something that has been painted many times through the centuries by various painters. And the reason I think that, that this, it's, a, it's a scene that's often painted is because it both shocks us and it fascinates us. Why does it shock us? Well, as you may know, Israel was in Egypt and they were experiencing the horrors of slavery and Pharaoh was becoming meaner and meaner uh, towards the children of Israel. In case you wonder what that means, children of Israel simply means the descendants of Jacob because Jacob and Israel are the same thing, mean the same thing. Well, God hears their prayer, and what does he do? He sends them a deliverer by the name of Moses. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And you know that, that Pharaoh says, no way. And so God sends a plague, and Pharaoh finally can't take it anymore, and he says, okay, okay, you can let, well, let your people go. And then he changes his mind, and he keeps doing that. He does it ten times until we get to the tenth plague, and it was, a, it was a plague of the death of the firstborn son. And you know, you'll, you'll remember that Israel was instructed at that time to, to take a lamb and to slaughter it and take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lintel uh, of their doorway. And if they did that, then the death angel would pass by. So God gave Israel Moses. He sent 10 plagues, which never touched the Israelites. It only, only affected the Egyptians. He delivered them from the death angel. And then, when the children of Israel ended up leaving uh, Egypt, what do we find? We find God stands be between Israel and the Egyptians in the form of a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it would have been a roaring, roaring column of fire that would have been terrifying. How did it, how did it, how did it 
stay in motion? How did it stay in that place? How did it move? What was going on? It was all very mysterious and definitely supernatural. And Israel knew that it was there for their sake. They knew that, and they were greatly moved by that. Well, not only then does God appear as a column of fire by night between his people and the Israelites, the children of Israel, they come to the Red Sea, and now they're trapped. They're trapped between the Red Sea and the, the Egyptians coming from behind. What are they going to do? And Moses cries out to God, and God says, don't worry, Moses. Take your staff, and, and you just touch the water, and the waters will part. And, of course, that's what happens. And so Israel, looking back at the children of Israel and seeing the, the column of, of fire between them and, and, and the Egyptians, they actually walk across on dry land. And when they get to the other side, of course, they're rejoicing, but now they're worrying that, that the Egyptians are going to follow them through. And you know the story. When the Egyptian army comes into the Red Sea on that, on that seabed, the waters then collapse upon them and, and destroy them all. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that after experiencing all of that, that they would be the most grateful, the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Wouldn't you think that? When I read that story and when I heard that story as a, as a child, I always thought that the Israelites must be the stupidest people who ever lived. How could they ever forget about that? And yet they did. You remember that by the time they got to the Mount Sinai and Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, because it was going to be there that God gave Moses the instructions on how the children of Israel were to worship him from that day forward. Remember the beginning of the commandments, the first commandment, you must have no other God before me. And then the next commandment, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Do you remember that? While God is giving Moses those instructions, while God is delivering it to him, at that very moment, the Israelites are now beginning to panic. Where's our leader? I don't see our leader anywhere. Something's going to happen to us. Moses, Moses is, is, is gone. He's deserted us. He brought us out here, and, and we're in trouble, and we need a God. And so what they do is they prevail upon Aaron, Moses' brother, to create this golden calf so that they have a god to worship. It's absolutely staggering. It's shocking. How could these people be so fickle? Rather than taking time to reflect and to think about how good God has been to them, what do they do? Rather than giving thanksgiving... They turn to idolatry. Now, I told you, when I was a kid, I thought, how could anybody be so stupid? Until I became an adult myself, and I began to do exactly the same thing. Now, that might shock you. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is the condition of the human heart. Every one of us, left to our own devices, is an idolater. And this is, a, this is a, a clear message in Scripture. It comes through all the time. Now, some of you may wonder, well, Pastor Alan, what exactly is an idol? I think most of us know that an idol so often is usually something that's been formed by the hands of men. Uh, you see a little, people have a little Buddha in their, in their home, or they'll maybe even have uh, uh, holy pictures 
uh, little statues of various gods, we understand that these are idols. But what's the problem with these, these little decorations? Well, an idol, my friends, is anything that takes our affections. And God makes it very clear that he is a jealous God, and he will not share our affections with any other God. Here's how the dictionary puts it. An idol is anything that replaces the one true God. The most prevalent form of idolatry in Bible times was the worship of images that were thought to embody the various pagan deities. The only power that these, these idols held was a power that existed in the minds of the people who were worshiping these idols. In other words, it was a figment of their imagination. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that nobody here today has any idols in their home. But here's what you need to understand. The Bible is clear that an, an idol is anything that takes the place of God, anything that comes first in your life. So what I want to do today is I want to help you to see whether or not you are an idolater or a true Christian. Everybody okay with that? I know whenever I, I say to people, make sure that you're converted, it, it's offensive to some people. They don't like that. Pastor, are you judging me? And how dare you say that I'm not converted? Look, I'm not telling you anybody here today you're not converted. What I'm asking is that you examine your heart to see whether or not you have the assurance that you truly are born again, that when you die, you're going to heaven. As a pastor for 40 years, almost 40 years, I can tell you, I have been with many, many people who are now in their last hours, their last days, and they're not 100% sure that when they die, they're going to go to be with Jesus. The good news is that if you come to our church, I'm going to help you understand and to know whether or not you are for sure converted. Somebody say amen. Yes. So what are some of the kinds of idolatry that grip our hearts? Well, we talked about that already. Uh, we talked about uh, icons. Some people have what they call the holy pictures. That's what my grandmother used to call them, the holy pictures that hung on the wall, and people would kiss them. Uh, I, went, I went to uh, Greek Orthodox Church many times when I was in Greece, and when people would come in, they would bend over and kiss the icon as though there was some sort of a magical power that was associated with that two-dimensional icon. Remember the Greek Orthodox, they had the two-dimensional icons. Well, the uh, Roman Catholic Church had the three-dimensional icons. You'll see statues of Mary, statues of Joseph, statues of the baby Jesus, and statues of various saints, so on and so forth. And people... Uh, if they're not careful, can very, uh, very well begin to actually pray to and worship and believe that these, these, these material uh, things, picture statues, are in fact uh, supernatural in their, in their powers. Sometimes an idol can be a hobby. You have a certain hobby, you'd my hobby is sports, Pastor. I can't. I can't be in church on Sunday because I got. I gotta go and take part in my sports. I, I gotta. I gotta go and and play hockey. I've gotta go and. I gotta go and watch hockey. I gotta go and watch football. I was talking to uh, a mother uh, some time ago, and she said, Pastor, the biggest mistake I ever made was was taking my son to play hockey on Sunday rather than taking him to church. Today, 
He wants nothing to do with church. I wonder today what your, what your idol is. It could be a philosophy even, an idea, something that grips your heart, grips your mind. It's thrilling. It's exciting. Maybe it's a cause, a great cause. One of the great shocks that I had is at a PAOC general conference in Victoria. And, and I thought that what would have happened there is that there would have been a true, true emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit enabling us to preach the gospel. But I heard nothing of that. I, I, heard, uh, I heard all kinds of talk about, about environmentalism, all kinds of talk about feminism, all kinds of, to- all kinds of talks about, about the millennials and how we have to clue into where they're at and, and we've got to make sure that we, we satisfy them, we don't want to leave them out, and, and the list goes on and on and on. These two can be idols, taking the place, the first place that Christ needs to hold in your heart. It can be people even, like Justin Bieber. He is, he is a, he's definitely a teen idol. In fact, he's, he's growing up, he's, got, he's, he's, he's a man now, he's married, but he's still an idol for many, many people. And, and, and you know that that's how the industry makes their money, is they turn these singers, these musicians, these actors, they turn them into idols. It could be money. In fact, probably if, if there's any idols in your heart, it's probably money. But it could be sex. It could be substance abuse. It may be the love of power. These are idols that could take over your heart. And this is what the Apostle Paul wants to address. And so if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 1 to 21. And here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Look at that. This is our job. Our job is to imitate God, to imitate Christ. And he says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, isn't that interesting, the language that Paul talks about? The Christian should not be offering sacrifices to idols, but should, in fact, be offering himself as a sacrifice to God. It's the opposite, isn't it? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Who are the saints, by the way? Everybody here today. One pastor, he wanted to impress upon his people that they were saints, and he took pictures of them all, and he put them all up in the hallway of the church, and he said, look, here's the gallery of saints. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, verse 4, Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are, not, which are out of place, but instead let there be what? Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Did you get that? If this is the thing that you are engaged in, if this is the thing that, that occupies your time 
and occupies your mind, then Jesus says, you're not converted. You're not born again. Now, remember, I asked you, are you converted? Are you sure you're born again? Well, here's, here's, here's the instruction here and how you know whether or not you are, in fact, born again. Let no one deceive you, verse 6, with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, if you're an idolater, you don't care what the Lord wants. You don't care what's pleasing to the Lord. You only care about what's pleasing to me. And this is why people who have idols, they, watch this, they create these idols in their own image. Isn't that interesting? God created us in his image that we would worship him. But when you have an idol, you're creating those idols in your image to please you. And then verse 11, Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then on how you walk. And this is why I'm asking you today if you are truly converted. I want you to examine yourself, examine your heart to see whether you're in the faith or not. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Remember, we just did a series on this through Proverbs in the summertime. And we said that to have wisdom is to have the fear of God. You are concerned about doing God's will and not your own will. And Paul says in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another <clears throat> out of reverence for Christ. And so you see, folks, the Christian is marked by his thanksgiving. And this is why we're doing this series called Be Thankful. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, well, what does idolatry have to do with thanksgiving? Well, you'll notice that the children of Israel, rather thankful, rather than giving thanks to God, what do they do? They engage in idolatry. Rather than trusting God, they trust in themselves and their own ability, and they create a golden calf. Now, let's take a look again at the first two commandments. How many commandments are there? Somebody knows there's ten. There's ten commandments. Now, the first two commandments make it very clear 
that you must not have any other God before you. You must not have any other God but me, God says. That's the first commandment. The second one, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So, folks, Listen, I ask you today, what is your idol? I'm going to tell you that if you have any other God other than God himself, God's not going to permit that. He's not going to tolerate it. And then listen to these shocking words that are a warning to all of us. He says, I, this is God. This is right there in the commandment. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. This is a warning to remember never, ever to put anything or anyone before Almighty God. Get it? Get it? Got it. So here's the thing, folks. In the history of the world, never have we seen so much liberty, So much prosperity, such safety through the rule of law based on the Ten Commandments as we see in the Western world over the last approximately four or five hundred years. We don't see it in any other part of the world. What do we see in other parts of the world that do not acknowledge God and God alone? You see destruction. You see terror. You see see all, all manner of horrors. The West has experienced and has known the blessing of God because of its devotion to one God and one God alone. They, anybody, even if he's not a devoted Christian, he could be a nominal Christian, and yet he wouldn't dream of talking about idols or any other God. But this is slipping away, unfortunately. This is slipping away right before our eyes. People have forgotten the one true God. People have been making and have been embracing their own idols. And it it is a death knell. It marks the end. So, God says to the Israelites in Exodus 23, 13, He says, pay attention to all that I've said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods nor let it be heard on your lips. Why would would God be saying that? Because he does not want the, the children of Israel to give credence in any way to these other so-called gods. He doesn't want his people to be influenced in any way by these other gods. And this is exactly what happens. Our hearts are gripped with, with, with the, the latest philosophies, the latest ideas. Our, heart is, our, our hearts are gripped by, by new hobbies and by, by the money that is available to us. Our hearts are gripped. And the next thing you know, you have abandoned God. Is it any reason why God hates, any wonder that God hates idolatry? Because it leads people away from God. Idolatry 
really is a matter of the heart. It's about pride. It's about self-centeredness. It's about greed and gluttony, a love for possessions, and ultimately a rebellion against God. That's exactly what we saw at the foot of Mount Sinai as Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. So, so God says, don't even let the names of these gods be mentioned. That, don't let them be found on your lips. And the Apostle Paul kind of echoes the same thing. Watch this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, look at this, must not even be named among you. In other words, Paul says, don't even discuss it. Watch this, folks. You start talking about things that are sexually immoral, about things that are impure. You start, you start talking obscenely. And the next thing you know, your flesh, your sinful flesh is being stirred up. And Paul says, don't discuss that stuff because it's going to lead you away from God. And yet, what do we find? We find ourselves watching the stuff, engaging in this stuff. We, we talk about it. We discuss it. We joke about it. And then we wonder why our hearts are far from God. It must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. No, verse 4, let there be no filthiness nor foolishness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now here, just look at this for a moment. The striking thing about this passage is that the Apostle Paul mentions this list of sins and vices. And you would think that what he would do is he would counteract it with a list of virtues, of good things. But he doesn't. He doesn't give a, a matching list of virtues against the list of vices. He has one word, and it's the word thanksgiving. Folks, watch this. What Paul is saying in his theology of thanksgiving is a way to combat these sins in your life and these vices in your life is through thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, in case you don't know it, is to be understood primarily as acknowledging that all you need is God, God alone. Did you get that? God is all you need. But if you're failing to give thanks to God, what you're saying is, God, you're not enough. You want to make God angry? Tell him he's not enough. One of the things we read throughout the epistles is that Christ is sufficient. God is enough. It's all we need. And the question is, do you understand that yet? Because for everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul says Thanksgiving should be the norm, should be the rule. Now, there's something you've got you to see here. Because Paul is talking about thanksgiving as the, the, the opposite, the antithesis to these vices and these sins, we, we acknowledge, watch this, that thanksgiving here is not just etiquette. It's not just good etiquette. What do I mean by that? One of the things we taught our kids since they were little is that whenever anybody does anything good to them or gives anything to them, they must always write a thank you note. That's called good etiquette. And if you don't say thank you, if you don't write a thank you note, we say, well, you know, that's 
that's poor, that's poor breeding. That's, that's not a very good upbringing that you had if you don't know how to say thank you. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Good etiquette is good. And it's not emotion. He's not talking about emotion here. That, those emotional feelings of thanksgiving. I'm, I, I'm just so thankful. And, 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 and the thing that I find extremely shocking about worship nowadays is that it, rather than being a declaration of who God is and his greatness, we've turned Jesus into our boyfriend. It's like, oh, Jesus, it's just so good to just, oh, just to hold me tight. This is, this is not Thanksgiving. This is just emotionalism. The Thanksgiving that is acceptable to God is a Thanksgiving that transforms your life. So it's not just an emotional experience, but rather it's an understanding that God is the king of the universe and that we come to him on bended knee with reverence and awe. It is majesty and his power. But what do we do? We want to reduce God to our size. We want to bring him down a few pegs. Bring him down to, to my size. My friends, that's what's wrong with Christianity in North America. We've reduced God to our size. But, and, and then you wonder why we have problems trusting him. If you understand who he is and his majesty, he's the God that's able to bring the ten plagues. He is the one who can send the death angel. He is the one that can protect you from the death angel. He's the one that comes in the power of his spirit as a cloud of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That's who God is. He's not your boyfriend. He's a God that deserves. A thanksgiving that acknowledges and recognizes his majesty. That's who God is. Thanksgiving is what characterizes God's holy people. When you come before God, you come with reverence and awe, giving him thanks for his kindness and his goodness to you. Yes, God wants us to be a holy people. Here's what, what Paul reminds the Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. God's will is for you to be what? Holy. What does that mean? It means to be set apart for God's purposes only. You don't engage in the, in the sins of this world. You don't embrace the idols of this world, money, sex, power, substance abuse, and so on. No, you are called to be holy. And so Paul says, so stay away from all sexual sin. We have we got a big problem, my friends. We have a very big problem in our culture and our society, and it is even in the church. It's something that the staff has been praying about. We've been praying about it on Tuesday nights. How do we help people who are suffering right now with sexual addictions and primarily pornography? It's a big, big, big problem. And it has undermined the power of the church. And Paul reminds us here that God's will is for us to be holy. Stay away from all sexual sin. That is an idol. It's coming between you and God. And God says, then each of you will control his own body and will live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his way. What is a pagan? A pagan is somebody who worships multiple gods. That, my friends, is North America today. We have all kinds of gods. The god of money, the god of sex, power, and on and on it goes. 
God's people are different from the world. We're set apart. We're holy. We're different. God calls us to worship the one true God, and it begins with thanksgiving. Giving him thanks for his goodness. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, Pastor Allen, I'm, I'm in trouble. I, I, I know I have idols. In fact, I've, I've, I've confessed it to friends, and I've asked my friends to pray for me. What do I do? Well, you've come to the right place because I've got answers for you today. Paul says, instead of filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, covetousness, sexual immorality, and impurity, instead of this, verse 4, let there be thanksgiving. That's it? What's well, the beginning? It's the beginning of the end of your idolatry. It begins with thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Are you sure you're born again? Are you sure that your God, your only God, is God Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ? So we know that thanksgiving is not just emotion, but rather it's a focus on God and doing his will. That's what holiness is. It's doing the will of God every time. And the good news for you today is that thanksgiving kills our passion for idols. You don't believe me. Let me say it again. Thanksgiving is what kills our passion for idols. So here's what you need to know. And this, this, this happens all the time in pulpits across the nation. Pastors stand up and preach a message of moralism. Stop doing that. Stop drinking. Stop dancing. Stop smoking. Stop doing pot. Stop, 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 stop. And everybody says, well, I'm trying, but I can't. No, you can't. Because what has to happen is that you have to be transformed. Your mind needs to be changed. Your mind needs to be renewed. Now, listen to this. This is some research done on neuroplasticity. That's, that's talking about the ability of the brain to change. A growing number of research publications have illustrated the remarkable ability of the brain to reorganize itself in response to various sensory experiences. Now, a traditional view of this plastic nature of the brain, when we say it's plastic, we're not saying it's like, like a milk carton or anything. We're talking about it's pliable, it's changeable. He says the traditional view of this plastic nature of the brain is that it is predominantly limited to short epochs during early development. In other words, what they, were, what they used to say is that once a child hits about age five, whatever that kid is like at age five is the way it's going to be for the rest of his life. What were you like at age five? Most are not over the terrible twos yet. They're little horrors. But Paul understood Man's ability to be changed and be transformed. 
And this is why he commands the Romans in Romans 12 too. He says, don't be conformed. Don't be formed or shaped to the image of this world. Don't be like the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Apostle Paul understands we have the ability to change. I don't have the ability in my own power. I don't even know if I have the desire to change in my own power. But folks, did you forget that when you became a Christian, you received the Holy Spirit? That Holy Spirit's at work in you. And the Holy Spirit wants to teach you, wants to train you, wants to form you, wants to shape you. In fact, God allows all kinds of circumstances in your life, some good, some bad, some wonderful, some not so wonderful. He allows these things, and you've heard me say this over and over and over again, he allows these things to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. So here's what, here's what, what some pastors have done over the years. They, as soon as something difficult happens, something they don't like, they start blaming the devil. I am not under the control of Satan. I just want everybody to know that today. I'm under the power of Almighty God, and Satan cannot touch me. I don't fear Satan. I fear God. I humble myself under the mighty power of God. I'm, I'm, I, don't even, I just ignore Satan. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I let him do his work in me, transforming me, changing me, and making me like Christ. And the way we are conformed to the image of Christ is that our minds are changed. Now watch this. Because if you understand this, 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 uh, this process of transformation in our mind, if you understand this neuroplasticity, and I'm not pretending to be an expert on this by any shape or any, by any uh, means, but here's what I'm told, is that your, your, your brain develops certain grooves through repetitive action. So the more you're looking at pornography, the more you desire pornography, and, and that, my friends, becomes the record of your life. What do I mean by that? Well, in the olden days, we used to have what's called records, and, 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 and not that long ago, then CDs came out. And what is it? It's a series of grooves, and that whenever you play that CD, whenever you play that record, the same thing is played over and over again. So if I put on my, my record of Beethoven, Every single time I put the needle on my, on my record, it plays Beethoven every single time. Not once have I put the, the needle on my Beethoven record and suddenly it's playing the Beatles. That's never happened, not even once. And so it is with you and me. Until those grooves are changed, you and I will continue on the same way. So how do we change the grooves of our minds? So we start playing a different song. It begins with thanksgiving. Start giving God thanks. Start worshiping him. Start recognizing him. Every single time you see some good thing that God has done, you give him thanks. You rejoice in that. You say, is that possible? It's absolutely possible. It's the way my wife and I have been living for years and years. Every time we pray, thanksgiving is, is an important component of our prayer life. Let me just quickly remind you of what we've looked at thus far concerning Paul's theology of thanksgiving. 
The first Sunday that we started the service, we talked about Jesus as the propitiatory covering. We said that, you remember this, that all of us are born enemies of God, that all of us, the whole world, unless it's been reconciled to God, is under the wrath of God. Every one of us is under the wrath of God. Churches don't like to say that anymore because it upsets people. Listen, do you want me just to make you feel good or do you want to know the truth? You want to know the truth. And the truth is we are born enemies of God. All of us are under the wrath of God. And this is how God shows his love his own son. And when you put your faith in Jesus, what happens now is that you come under his covering, under his protection. And under the covering God is nothing but the joy of the Lord, nothing but the love of God, nothing but the beauty of God, nothing but the wonder and the thrill of belonging to Jesus. And that's the foundation of all thanksgiving. There's not a day that goes by, folks, that I am not giving God thanks for Jesus Christ, my covering, my shelter, my hiding place, my fortress, the cleft in the rock. He's the one in whom I hide. And it's for that reason I rejoice and I'm glad because I never now will ever be afraid of the wrath of God because I'm covered with Jesus Christ. And the good news, my friends, is that God looks at me with with eyes of love because he sees his son Jesus only when he looks at me. You say, Pastor Alan, I know you're not that great. No, you're right, I'm not. But I'm covered with Jesus Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees only Jesus. That's the basis of all thanksgiving. That's where it starts. And then we said last week that when it comes to prayer, you have to be a people of thanksgiving because when you're giving God thanks, then you are trusting him and you're being reminded of the great things that he has done. That's the problem with Israel at Mount Sinai. They forgot that God has just done all these miracles for them. And they turned to idolatry. My friends, that's exactly what happens to you and me. The minute you forget God's goodness, God's kindness to you, you will turn to your idols to find relief and satisfaction there. Are you getting this? This is why we cling to our idols, because we don't trust God, because we forget what God has done for us. And so today what I'm saying to you is that if you want to kill the idols in your life, you need to give yourself to fervent thanksgiving, remembering that God is on your side. He has not forgotten about you. Did you get that? He knows you by name. I love that old hymn that says, be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Not because you're such a perfect person, but because you trusted in Christ who is perfect. And not only did he die on the cross to wash away your sin, my friends, but he was resurrected from the dead and that guarantees that you and I have been made right with God and that with Christ we shall dwell with him forever. Christ was a firstborn from the dead and everyone who puts their faith in Christ will also live again and live for eternal. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Folks, this is, this is our faith. This is what we believe. I've got to remind you then, according to what the Apostle Paul is telling us here, there's two things, at least two things that you and I need to do. You and I need to turn away from our, our, our dirty talk, refuse to listen to filth, abandon our, 
our idols and instead start giving thanks. All day long, as often as you can, tell as many people as you can how good God is to you. That's what I do. I tell my kids that all the time. I, every time they're, they're maybe talking about a difficult thing, I'll say, but yeah, but don't forget the way God helped you, the way God has assisted you, the way God provided for you, the way God met your need, the way God answered your prayer. Oh, yeah, everything's in perspective now. My God has not forgotten about me. My God knows exactly what my situation is. And he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. My God, my God shall never leave me nor forsake me. Hallelujah. For that, we give thanks. And the next thing is you've got to stop coveting, stop being greedy, stop loving money, stop looking to the things of this world as being the source of satisfaction for you. See Christ alone as the source of satisfaction. Amen? Amen. I want to I read to you something that's going to happen in the last days. And it's something that all of us are going to be a part of. In fact, I want us now to reconstruct what's going to happen in the future. And, and for that to happen, I need you to stand. Could you stand with me, please? I'm reading from Revelation chapter 7. The saints of God, the martyrs, are standing around the throne of God. These people who've trusted God, who would rather die than embrace idols. Watch this. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. And they sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and forever. Amen. Amen. My friends, that is what we're waiting for. That is what we're looking for. This is our blessed hope. The things of this world, the problems of this world are passing away, but hallelujah, the day is coming, and I think it's soon. We're going to be standing before the throne of Almighty God, and we'll be giving him the blessing, the praises, and thanksgiving for his faithfulness to his people. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, O oh God, for teaching us how to overcome and how to kill the idols in our lives. God, make us a people who are absolutely full to overflowing with thanksgiving. Father, let every hour, every 15 minutes, every five, 10 minutes, every minute be filled with thanksgiving, remembering all the good and wonderful things that God has done for us, beginning with the death and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, God, let our prayers be full of thanksgiving. Forgive us, Lord, for our complaining, our grumbling, our whining. Forgive us, oh, God, for coming to you as though you're the great Santa Claus in the sky with our long list of the things that we want. Oh, God, forgive us for this and fill our hearts with thanksgiving for your faithfulness. God, save us and prevent us from being like the Israelites who, rather than give thanks, built an idol. Oh, God, work in us. Transform us, renew us, refresh us, revive us, we pray in Jesus' name as we walk in thanksgiving. We pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me.
Amen. Tell the person beside you, be thankful.